Hello and welcome to the show. With me I have Brad Linder, author of Catman and founder of Firestorm Comics. So what got you interested in comic books? Well, I've uh, actually learned to read. I had a dyslexia problem when I was a kid and uh, the graphics helped me socialize and process the, the images with the words. And it uh, actually helped me read when I was very, very young. Um, I went straight from the uh, one-line children's books into um, comic books. <clears throat> Excellent. I noticed that the artwork in Catman looks a bit like... And you, you're the one drawing, right? And writing as well. Um, actually, I only take over in page 18. Um, Rod Islias is the one that... Um, actually drew it and we call him Rob the Vanishing because uh Rod the Vanishing because of the fact that he actually disappeared on us and left us hanging at page 18. Um I took over the artwork for fill in on uh page 19 through 23 to finish out the book, but I actually did the layouts for it. So it, I mean it's my page layouts and my design, but uh, I actually do um the artwork for those final pages with my little graphics, so. Well, it looks wonderful. It reminds me a bit of the Ultimate Spider-Man, Ultimate X-Men, the artwork from those comics. Well, we tried to get a classic feel for it because um, we wanted it to have a mainstream quality, but yet still mm -hmm. have an independent freedom to the story. And that was the whole purpose of Firestorm Comics, uh, the timeline, the continuity, um, the design of the book, and all that fun stuff. So that, that's the reason we went with a classic look, and we used modern storytelling techniques and you know melodrama and all that fun stuff mixed in. So, yeah. Right, definitely. I see the homages to the bronze and the Iron Ages, but it's definitely modern, the artwork. So I was curious about your influences. I like uh, Joe Moriara a lot. I follow, um, let's see, just a couple of the mainstream artists that are really, really hot right now. Um, Joe Moriara has been a huge influence on me, and I follow a lot of classic artists as well. Uh, Art Adams was a huge one for me. Uh, uh, right. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can see that influence. Eric Larson has a lot of that influence as well with the blocky jaws and things like that. And uh, we just went that route with it. As far as my personal art style, I wanted it to have something that had a modern animated feel to it with the depth of the rich, the rich color saturations and things like that. But the big thing was is to have an urban gritty feel to it. So that's the reason we extended it out into the classic DC almost uh, DC style in the um, the grit with the cross hatching and the and the hairy details and the feathering and things like that. Right, and I gather that from your Kickstarter that this was a comic for adults. Is it appropriate for children or teenagers? Well, it isn't an all age book. Um, I, I would definitely recommend to kids twelve and over because of the fact of the language in it, but it's targeted language. It's very precise in the way we've used it. And I don't allow a lot of um, sexual orientation or things like that to go along with it or the sexual preferences of characters or anything um, extreme with the acts of it. 
but uh, as far as the language goes, there are a couple of harsh, more extreme uh, plugs once in a while, and there's only three or four of them in this entire book, I think. Uh, if I remember right, there, I think there's four different scenarios uh, where it's used. But the thing is, is it's specific to the situation. It's not just thrown out for the character to swear. Sure, and I understand so, that. And a lot of parents, when they see a comic book, they think, oh, this is just like my grandfather's or my father's comic books. I, my first comic book was Venom, The Madness, and there was quite a bit, when I was six or seven years old, quite a bit of mature content there. Yeah, that that book was actually uh, heavily influenced off of the direction Todd McFarlane really wanted to go with that character, and I don't think he actually worked on that book, if I remember right, but... um the basis he put down for Venom was pretty heavy. Yes, it warped my fragile young mind, that's for sure. It'll definitely grab your attention, that's for sure. So, what does Catman bring to the table? What's unique about him? What's special? Because there are definitely a lot of superheroes out there. Well, what this book brings is an original take um, on the 1950s character and... In the, Marvel, in the Marvel Universe, in the DC Universe, they have their own versions of Catman. Um, one of them hasn't used uh, Marvel, being the, the one right, right at the moment. They haven't used the Catman character in their timeline at all. Um, it, it is a totally different setup. They have uh, the DC version, which is the knockoff of Batman from the original, based off of the original 1950s original version from uh, Holyoke. And what they did with it is they made their own version of him when he fell into public domain and made him into a uh, a villain. And they made their own knockoff version. So what ended up happening there with us is the FSU, the Firestorm Comics Universe, is its own standalone timeline. Um, the origin story has a character by the name of – uh, <clears throat> excuse me. What happens with the FSU is our original timeline is based off of a time cop by the name of Quantum Jack, which chases a criminal through the 1950s and uh, the 60s and 70s all the way into the modern 80s where he ends up getting uh, what we would consider Soviet Union style bulky nuclear weapons and taking them back to the 50s. And the reason was is because they were so hidden, no one would reveal that they were stolen. And that's the reason we did that. And what ends up happening is the uh, timeline goes back into the 1950s where the world is actually destroyed by the mercenary uh, slipstream, which Union Jack is um, – <clears throat> Firestone Comics' original universe timeline goes off of the story of Quantum Jack, which is a time enforcement officer changing, chasing a mercenary by the name of Slipstream. Slipstream takes modern-day nuclear weapons back to the villains of the 50s, and they're trying to threaten and hold the world hostage, and he ends up planting these bombs around the globe and actually setting them off because he's crazy. Quantum Jack is saved by a interstellar character, uh, actually the spirit of fate and retribution, steps in and saves the planet and resets the timeline into the modern FSU universe so we have an alternate timeline from the get-go with this universe uh that's the reason we have the catman timeline that's where dan merriweather comes in he is actually the son the grandson of the cat the original 1950s catman character in this timeline 
and he has inherited not only his grandfather's foundation uh, and business, but also inherited the legacy of the hero. So we're bringing a totally different approach with this thing where we're going to have the original 1950s Catman show up as well, but in our version with a different universe as to what happened with him. And we're going to be taking Darren through a lot of different uh, positions that his grandfather didn't ever have to face. Sure, and there's there's no copyright issues with this at all? No, no. Um, the way it works, in short, the way it works is you can use the, the name. <clears throat> it falls in the public domain. So what happens is, is the original 1950s character falls in the public domain through Holyoke. Now, because it's public domain, it can be used in that incarnation or an adaptation made off of it for creative purposes. And that's what we've done. We've made an original adaptation of it. The reason we can use the Catman name inside the book is you can't trademark or copyright a name to be used within a character. So that's the reason um, Adam can be used and Brad can be used on multiple people. The, the catch-22 to that is uh, you can't use it on the cover. So instead of it being Catman coming back through the FSU universe, we're using Catman Evolution, which is a different phrase. It changes it by 50%, so therefore it's a variation in a different <laughs> phrase. Excellent. So what is the future of Catman and your company? Do you foresee yourself making a number of series? Uh, yeah, we actually have uh, right at 60 properties in development on schedule for the next three years, and we have over 100 characters, <clears throat> over 100 characters developed right now ready to go, and over 1,000 in total in our universe that are being developed over that next three- to five-year window. So we are going to be in massive production. We are a mainstream company. We are going to step up and uh, make it happen across the board. My goodness. How many people are working with you? <clears throat> right now, we, ha we work in teams, and uh, we're, we're taking it slow at first. We have four teams set up right now on four individual titles, and I am the editor-in-chief and creative director for all those titles, as well as an artist on one of them. And uh, we have roughly six, seven people on each group, so we're working uh, we're working with about 30, 40 people right now. That is definitely a company. Yeah, yeah, we're very proud of it. I mean, we've got, <laughs> we've got a big group. Well, how long have you guys been around? <clears throat> well, uh, we started... Uh, we started project project development back in 2012, um, but due to stall outs with artists and things like that, my writing staff have been with me since then. Um, we finally got all of the artists and colorists and inkers in place uh, early last year, and we stepped up and got everything ready to rock and roll, and we started producing and um, got our schedule put in place, got the funds together to get everybody uh, in place up front and get them some startup cash, and then started producing books. Um, I would roughly say in the last seven, maybe eight months, we've kicked out a couple of titles with great ease. Uh, we just finished uh, Catman number two as of yesterday morning, and we've started on issue three uh, on schedule for tonight, which we start production on the artwork for it tomorrow. 
Are any of these comics being sold in retail outlets right now? No, they're not being distributed yet, uh, but we are working on that during the Kickstarter campaign. Uh, we are looking at getting them on digital distribution right at the moment. Uh, we're talking to Drive Through, we're talking to Comixology, and we are talking with Amazon, which I've already got an account set up with them, um, and they have approved Catman to go on Amazon. We are wanting to get into print as well as digital, though, so that is the purpose for the Kickstarter. Uh, we are pushing through to be a, a mainstream company in both outlets. Excellent. And can you tell us a little bit more about the other titles you're developing? Um, <clears throat> I, I can tell you a little bit about a couple of them. Uh, okay. We are working on Quantum Jack, the time enforcement officer. Um, he appears in a six-page setup story that we're about to release during the Kickstarter campaign. Uh he is going to go into his own series and take off from there. Uh, he is, like I said, he is a time enforcement officer. He will be stuck in the modern Firestorm Comics universe and dealing with that. Uh, he's the guy that started it all. And we're not going to do um, a rehashed, reborn type of storyline. We are stuck in this universe. It is what it is, and we're going to develop that from there. Um, we're going to see some new criminals come up. He's going to have to face the old with the new on multiple levels. Um, the big thing is he's going to have to face Slipstream again at another point, which is a reincarnation of this into this new timeline. So he's going to have to deal with the guy that destroyed the planet, and the the guy doesn't even know he did it. So that's where we're taking that first storyline with him. Um, it sounds like a good intro. Yeah, it's, it's a fun project. It's definitely a fun project. Um... We're going to go off with Catman. Of course, we're taking Darren, as you guys know already. We're going to be taking Darren. His family were killed, and the local crime boss of the time tried to take over an ore that was under his property, and that's why he was killed. He was left for dead, and uh, he takes a classic masked vigilante, come back from the dead type of persona, and avenges his life and stops the crime boss um, and protects the frontier from then on. In the Firestorm Universe version of that character, which is actually Frontier Galaxy, as I said, it's set in the future on New Kansas, and it is out on the edge of the galaxy, and it is a frontier planet, and what ends up happening is the same scenario plays out, but it is a steampunk, sci-fi, futuristic western hybrid. So you have um, robots and... You have st the poor with steampunk style functions, and you have the rich people with cybernetics, you know, the big fancy sci-fi, shiny stuff. And then you have farmers with droids and hovercrafts and variations of wagons and things like that. Um, the actual character 
ends up in the same scenario, but the ore that happens to be in that storyline is what fuels Quantum Jack's time travel capabilities. Can we expect some interdimensional multiverse action going on in these comics? Um, no, um, we are keeping it mainstream. Uh, we're going to be doing a, a lot of stuff where t Quantum Jack may jump around a little bit, and you may get to see some of those interactions with those other characters that way. But as far as the multiverse pros, uh, perspective and persona goes, we're not jumping into that at all. We're keeping it strictly to our continuity timeline. Everything's new and original anyway, so we don't have to jump around for that. Um, we will be flashing back, so we'll see the, the FSU version of the 1950s. So you'll get a look at the original Catman in our universe timeline, so you'll get to see that. But as far as it going with the original persona of the characters, uh, we're not going to cross paths that way. We're strictly creating our own standard universe timeline so that we can uh, handle the characters that way and keep everything straight. Because with it being in a, an original universe in the first place, it's going to be uh, really, really hard to bring in all that other continuity and crash back to the original timeline without messing everything up. So we don't want to damage that flow. Precisely, and I think you can learn from Marvel's mistakes when it comes to timelines. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> um, unfortunately, Marvel, which I'm a huge fan of those guys, they do great work. They set the foundation for a lot of this stuff, for the modern stuff, we know that. And, you know, without the frame of fortune, we wouldn't be where we are. But the problem, you know, the problem is that uh, they got too far-fetched too fast, and they've lost their direction. And I think that's part of why the FSU will be so popular and so famous and has such potential because we are locking it into good versus evil, one timeline, one basis, and a foundation that's being built on the characters that are stable rather than risking whether they're going to get yanked out of their own timeline or not and mess that continuity up. Sure, but ultimately down the road someone may want to reinterpret your character the way Alan Moore reinterpreted Swamp Thing, for instance. Well, you know, we have um, a couple of characters in line for that, and what's going to and uh, we actually have a title for that. It's going to be um, the FSU version of What If?, and we have something like that in the works right now that's going to allow different creators to take different personas and, t and variations on darker sides of characters that they want to help influence and help develop. But right now, with the continuity baseline, we've got everything laid out to where it's going to be a very solid read for a good long time to come. Excellent. I loved What If. Unfortunately, I only have about a dozen copies of them. Uh, I'm glad you're following in their footsteps. Well, yeah, I mean, that was a great influential title. Um, they, they did a lot of groundbreaking work in that without messing up like, like we keep going back to. And I keep pointing back out. It's I don't want to mess up the continuity. And with them being able to go, what if anything was possible without messing up mainstream continuity? But then now with the multiverse problem, we've come into it to where no one knows exactly what's going on or which version is going to stick. 
<laughs> yes, but that's part of the joy of being a Marvel fan. You get to wade through all of these contradictions and all of this insanity. Oh, sure. I mean, <laughs> you know, but um, it, we're trying. That's, that's the thing we're priding ourselves on is trying to stay away from that problem with the FSU because of the fact that, you know, that has been a damper on comic books and it's actually opened the floodgates for my company to step in because of that fact. So, I mean, I love those comics just as much as anybody, but you can only do so many versions of a specific character and get so far fetched that you can't keep continuity to where it's even relatable to the story that it's in. And that's the difference. And I wanted to get back to comics that, I was reading when I was a kid, you know, um, I caught the, I I was reading comics in the seventies, you know, when I was little and that was the end of the silver age, man, you know, right there at the late seventies, early eighties, that, that was right there in that transition where we got into the modern age and it changed a lot of the way people think about comics. We went from the good guy versus the bad guy and those mainstream cookie cutter comic books into the more diverse styles of uh, writing and development. And that influenced me greatly because I got the best of both worlds. Fortunately, I had some of my grandfather's comics and he was a collector in the forties and fifties. And I also bought large numbers of comics in flea markets. So the lack of continuity in Marvel didn't really matter since I never read comics in order anyway. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think those the Silver Age comics were wonderful, even if people pan them as being bland or sterile. Well, yeah, but, but the, right. you got to remember, the you had the authority all over comic books at that time, and it hadn't been upgraded in 30, 40 years, you know, and it still hasn't. And a lot of independent comics stay away from it completely because of that. You know, like uh, like our books, for example, because of the fact that we don't put the code, the comics approval code on there because of the fact that we have such harsh language in them. And, you know, we, we set our own boundaries and our own guidelines as to how far it will go and what techniques we use with that stuff. Um, but we don't go as far as nudity or anything awkward like that for, you know, moms and dads worried about their kids getting a hold of our comics. Um, we just use a little harsh language now and again and a little impressionism here and there. Um, but we haven't really pushed the envelope to uh, full-on nudity or, you know, ad- adult mature comic level because we still want these to be sold in the mainstream. So the comics code is not akin to the FCC or to the sort of ratings that mainstream games have to get or movies. It's sort of optional. Excuse me. No, yeah, it is is definitely an optional situation. Um, You can publish comic books without it. Sorry, my allergies. Um, Yes, you can put it out there without uh, the authority code on there. Uh, because there's a lot of strict guidelines that come with it. I mean, it served its purpose in the time, but in the modern age of comics, I think it's just like anything else. I mean, we have to be mature and responsible for our own products and put it out there the way we need to, to match the audience as well as the boundaries of what we need to with the uh, the commercial boundaries that are set with uh, society. I mean, we have that responsibility. But the comics code itself, we don't have to worry about that. Uh, as an independent, we go in and say, okay, we're going to set up this rating system, and this is the way we do our books. We champ, uh, stamp um, 
mature on them if we have mature content, like the language. We mark the language on there. Um, we have a little insignia that goes on our retail version that says uh, mature language, and it's a parental warning, and that's it. I mean, we definitely take it upon ourselves to use our own custom writing for that. Of course, you don't want any angry parents calling into your comic book store saying, oh, Billy just saw a curse word. Right, right. You know, they, they had a lot of problems with that with um, Image back in the early 90s. They had a lot of problems with that with uh, Eric Larson and uh, Todd McFarlane. You, you know, Todd McFarlane used, used to use uh, swear words and uh, he would just pop them in there with no problem. And they would just pop up in like Spawn or a couple of different books like that. And then uh, Savage Dragon by Eric Larson had a, a huge amount of uh, swear language. And he used to like to pop it in as a surprise type thing. Uh, you would have the impressionism of him sleeping with a woman, you know, um, having an intimate relationship with a woman. And uh, that would be a hardcore situation for a lot of parents because they didn't mark those books with the tr with the uh, authority code either. But there are ways around that. There are ways of insinuating sex having been had. There are ways of showing violence without showing a lot of blood or gore. And I think it, that gives more effect frequently because nowadays we're just so inundated with with disgusting images, with overt sexual acts... Right, and right. based on what I've seen of your comic book, it's not really dark and gritty. It's not like some of the independent comics I've looked at before. It looks like the sort of comic that someone could buy their kid. Yeah, yeah, and li like I said, you know, we 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 use a, a little bit of impressionism, and we use a a lot of key placed terminology, um, language, and things like that. But like I said, I think the thing's got like four or five swear words in it through the whole book, and it's 23 pages long, and it is uh, definitely purposefully placed, and we believe that you know it's something our kids can read. If they got a hold of it, it's not going to warp their brain. <laughs> so you know, and if they you know, it's not something you really want them to. Exactly, it's not Venom. It's not Venom the Madness. Or Sandman. I read that too young as well. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of um, there are a lot of independent comics that tr tend to go more to the creative freedom side of things, but we try to find that happy balance. Like I keep saying, you know, it's that focus of mainstream quality and free freedom and creativity of an independent side. Uh, we've got to go from that angle. And that's what we want to do. We want to put these sh on the shelves across the globe without problem of a mom and dad freaking out, you know. Right. And I think you've achieved that. It looks like a professional mainstream comic. It's not some kind of bizarre independent production that is offensive for the sake of being offensive, which is terribly immature. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's got they, – well, they have their place as well. I mean – um, I mean, if that's what you're in the mood for, if you're in in the mood for something that's going to get that's going to stimulate your brain and make you think and shock you, then there are books like that as well. But um, we're just about a good old fashioned comic book read. And I enjoy Robert Crumb as much as the next guy. But I think most of us got into comics for this sort of 
beautiful escapist superhero fantasy. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And if you have something like Watchmen that does both, you've got a winner. Speaking of which, do you foresee yourself creating graphic novels with this character? Um, we do have a couple of uh, big scale books coming out, uh, graphic novel size, and uh, a couple of miniseries arcs coming out. But the main thing we want to do with the characters right now is uh, keep on point with the foundation and get them laid out to where people understand what we're doing with this universe and get in get a chance to get comfortable with the characters. But then we do have some mainstream level – how do I want to phrase this? We have some, some typical graphic novel level stories, but we're going to be telling in, in multiple chapters and uh, – three- and six-parts miniseries uh, so that people don't run on for a year with them and, and get freaked out, you know, uh, as Marvel likes to do with the Spider-Man sagas and things like that. I mean, we learned our lesson in the industry from that, uh, the Clone Saga. <laughs> as, as cool as that story was, which I'm a fan of it, actually, but, uh, wow, we, we learned a hard lesson with that one. Yeah, we, we definitely go miniseries with our, our perspective titles, and... Um, we do have a couple of big books coming out that are going to be 120 or so pages uh, for a couple of different graphic novel projects. Yes, you read my mind. I was thinking of of Ben Riley of that entire storyline. And, of course, I only have a smattering of comics from that particular storyline, so it's even more confusing to me. I looked at the Wikipedia page years ago and just lost... Don't worry. But you guys can avoid. <laughs> you guys can avoid that, and I'm sure you will. Yeah, yeah. We, we've we got a timeline laid out right now to where we're looking at uh, – we just finished up the plot outline for uh, issue 22 of Catman uh, Evolution, and we, we've got a lot of different ideas going on. And the co-writer and scripter of this book that actually wrote the dialogue and played out the initial story for the first few issues – is Veronica Massey. Um, she's known for paranormal romance novels, and she's actually a very well-followed writer on um, Amazon. And she's working with a couple of different publishers as well in print. And we brought her in, and everybody was freaking out because I actually brought her on board. And every, the um, artist, Rod, uh, he was actually freaking out originally. And he said, man, I can't work with that. You're going to bring in a paranormal romance novel writer for an action comic book, a crime no a crime book? And I said, absolutely. I said, you haven't seen what she's done. We co-plotted it together with the original concept. I laid it out from what Veronica and I had written. She did the script, and I did the graphics and the page layouts. And we have a beautiful book to, to show for it. She is a wonderful lady, and uh, yeah, it, she's writing um, – Let's see, she's written issues one through three so far, and she's finishing up four, five, and six as we speak. So we, we've got those locked in with her, and she's going to continue this storyline uh, out to that point. All right, all right. Well, before I let you go, I have to ask about your favorite superhero and your favorite supervillain. Um, from anywhere or from... Anywhere. <clears throat> um, 
I, I actually have to say that my favorite one right now, um, my favorite hero would have to be the Shadow. Um, more or less an anti-hero, but uh, he fits that he fits that groove pretty quick. Uh, I love the raw edge to that character, and he has so many styles and personas in each book that he's been presented in, and in each style. But yet, it's still the same purposeful uh, character, and he's a he's just a gun-toting, you know. Bo- hard-nosed crime buster that comes in and handles business. Um, as far as villains go, my personal favorite still has to be, believe it or not, Lex Luthor, the original 1930s Lex Luthor, the mad scientist. It's it's a good choice. I'm not sure how many people would pick him today. I think they laugh at his boldness and they underestimate his intellect He's not like Dr. Doom with the cool outfit, although maybe Doom's outfit is considered tacky today. <laughs> We'd have to take a poll. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So your favorite hero has changed over time. Well, yeah. It, of course, you know, when, it's, when you're a kid, it's always one of the mainstream guys, you know, um, from the Marvel or DC lineup that you see in the cartoons. You know, everybody wants to be Spider-Man, everybody wants to be Batman, everybody wants to be Superman, and so on. But... My major favorite character since I discovered him is the Shadow. I, I just really, really st- I resonate with that character. I, I just uh, I do because I think he is the grittiest and rawest form of justice, but yet maintains such a mysterious level because you never know what's going to happen with him. And like the multiverse conversation we were having a little bit earlier that we touched on, he is the epitome of that because you never know what you're going to get in the next incarnation that you see him in which brings up another interesting thought how are you going to treat your villains and catman is he going to get rid of them or are they going to go into jail and bust out over and over like in batman uh well you know everybody's got their rogue gallery and uh, we, we will definitely develop ours as well. We have quite a few of those characters that are going to stick around. Um, we haven't preemptively decided how far they're going to stick because we don't know the limitations of how far we're going to take Catman just yet, um, at least through issue 22. Um, he's going to have some ups and downs, and he's going to cross a few lines. There are going to be uh, – a couple of characters that you're going to have to watch out for and see if he actually goes the, all the way with them and uh, ends up taking them out or if he's going to, you know, hold himself back and be able to retain it because he's dealing with a feral side of himself that uh, most characters don't have the trauma of dealing with. So he's borderlining right now as to who he is and what he's about. And that's part of what the first couple of story arcs are about, is him dealing with what limitations he wants to pull. And in the situations he's faced, is he going to be able to stop himself or does he cross the line and stop that threat? So sort of like Wolverine without a team to guide him. He has to do it on his own. It's, um, yeah, I mean, that... The funny thing is, is he, you know, being labeled Catman as the character, it's like he's a kitten evolving into his own domain. He's figuring out what his boundaries are in his life and what he's willing to do and what he's not. 
So, you know, it's like a kitten learning to walk. And right now we're getting him out into the world of the FSU universe and stepping him up and saying, okay, how are we going to handle this guy and how would he handle this situation? So, yeah, you're going to get a lot of raw um, feral instinct as well as not necessarily berserker modes like Wolverine or Sabretooth would do, but uh, more dilemma-based, and it's going to be a morality versus, you know, an ethical type thing versus – emotional as to how far he wants to go it's more of that classic um gritty urban hero type do i want to cut this guy's head off or do i want to let him walk away and go to jail you know do i, right. do I just want to give him a limp i i've always thought that in certain situations batman would be willing to cross that line not always but in some well you, you know um i, I watched in uh, an old interview with uh, Bob Kane once, and he actually talked about that and the reason that he made the transition. Originally, Batman used to carry a couple of guns and would actually kill people. Mm-hmm. And they evolved the character due to the comics code standard and things like that and trying to make him more commercial and easier for a larger audience. They actually streamlined him to where he wouldn't, you know, he went from the guns to batarangs and things like that, and they calmed him down and gave him that, um, that classic instinct to where he could co- draw off of that history and push that line if he needed to, and give you that edge that everybody loves about Batman, which is, is he finally going to snap and kill this guy, or is he going to keep letting him go? What kind of villains can we expect for Catman? Are we talking about mad scientists, aliens, serial killers? We have a lot of different varied characters um, throughout the FSU on all the titles. And Catman specifically right now, he's dealing with the typical crime boss type scenario uh, because that's where we start out. And we're trying to deal with some technology that's been stolen, and he's got to recover that as well as stop the uh, local crime boss, which is going to set him in motion for bigger stories due to it going a lot deeper than it actually is on the surface. So um, to answer the question about what type of villains we're going to have, we're going to have a lot of uh, new mixed variations of public domain villains that are well-known, and we're going to be doing our original take on those. Uh, So they're going to have a classic feel to them, as well as the uh, new original... uh, FSU creations that I've come up with and that uh, Veronica and I have tweaked on and we're going to push that direction as well so you're going to get it across the board um, you're going to get modern style villains, you're going to get classic um, whodunit style villains You know that you're going to be going oh wow this guy's obvious but yet you know he's twisted because we're going to add extra elements into it to modernize it and make it um, weaponized for the FSU and the detective element of a comic is always so fun. Yeah, we're going to be having um, a lot of the crime element. Uh, but the fun thing with him is, uh, the Catman character, is we're actually going to leave him raw. And he's going to be learning a lot of these skills more off of uh, situational um, instinct. Because we're going to have it that direction to where he's more or less involved by whatever he's trying to resolve at the time, mm-hmm. and he's going to have to step up and say, okay, how am I going to handle this? Am I going to be the professional here, or am I going to go raw and just tear these guys apart? Again, it's the confliction of ethical standards 
of modernized thinking versus going into the emotional, raw, primal version of himself. What I think will be really great is that this is the story of a superhero, but it's also the story of the evolution of a superhero. Exactly, exactly. So you won't need endless prequels and origin stories. You're showing it right here, right now. Oh yeah, this book starts off from page one. Uh, Catman shows up in an alley to save a young man right there, right off the bat. And it is no question as to who the hero is and what the story's about. And your readers can get in on the ground floor. Absolutely. You can jump in with both feet and have no questions as to where the ground is underneath. I think that's a major advantage because Marvel and DC are certainly intimidating. Their lures could fill many, many thick volumes and do. Well, you know, that that was part of the fun with um, – the, with the Catman evolution and with the Firestorm universe being original creative characters um, that I developed original properties, as well as many public domain style influences like this with these adaptations, it's given me the open range to bring in all of that classic comic history because you never know who's going to show up next and what they're going to be like in this modern universe. So I get the advantage of telling a brand new version of that character and creating an original version or adaptation as well as dealing with all of the the history that comes with those great characters before the transition. And I'm sure that will bring in many classic comic buffs, however many are remaining. Maybe more than I think. Yeah, it sounds like an excellent project.